Well, we are concluding not our series of sermons. We are still dealing with our series of sermons today and then two weeks from now. Uh, Next week we're going to take a bit of a break and just have a special focus on Thanksgiving. But today we are coming to the conclusion of our look at the book of Amos. Little minor prophet, man who said he really wasn't even a prophet, and yet God called him. And we noticed as we've been looking at Amos that there was a basic natural three-part division to the book. And so two weeks ago, we looked at the first section, which were the oracles. Chapters 1 and 2 had all of these different oracles, and by that I mean statements that began, Thus saith the Lord. And they were oracles of sin and judgment. Not only against Israel and Judah, the divided kingdom, but first of all, the first six were oracles of sin and judgment against surrounding nations. And then when it came to the oracle against Judah, instead of sins against other human beings as the other nations had done, with Judah, the oracle was, you have forgotten the God who brought you out of Egypt. You haven't followed the commandments. And so you too face judgment. But then that section concluded with the oracle against Israel itself. And it became extensive. It was an oracle that spoke to all of the different ways that they had failed. The seven different ways they had sinned. The seven different ways God had tried to speak to them. The two ways that they had specifically rejected by making the Nazarites drink wine and by not following through with doing what they were supposed to do as well with the prophets. And then concluding with the seven judgments that were going to come upon them as a result. Result which actually did result in in the judgment upon the nation, the northern kingdom being taken into captivity. Last week we looked at the sermons, chapters 3 to 6. And again, they were sermons concerning sin and judgment, but specifically now, sin and judgment of Israel. And we saw how each of these three sermons began in the same way. Hear the word. Hear the word. And the first one was a, a sermon... Uh, to Israel there was a sermon of doom chapter 3 and then chapter 4 hear the word it was a sermon about the depravity that existed within the nation and we talked about how we should not feel like we are going to be protected as a nation if we also allow such depraved situations to take place in our own land And then chapters 5 and 6, the message of of the dirge, the, the funeral song. That's what a dirge is. The lament that was sung over 
Israel. And we saw that in chapters 5 and 6. So chapters 1 and 2 were the oracles. Chapters 3 to 6 were the sermons. And today we come to chapter 7 to 9, which are five visions. And there is a formula again to help us. The five visions all begin with, this is what the Lord God showed me. Or with the fifth vision, I saw the Lord before the altar. Five different visions and an interlude. An interlude that's important. Um, And so that's where we're going to focus today. On these visions. And I've titled my message today, again, we're looking at major messages from the minor prophets, and I've titled my message simply a series of visions. So, I don't want to read all of chapter 7, 8, and 9. I've chosen just one section, uh, and um, we're going to read that, and I'll explain to you why I focus there. Vision 1, before we start reading. Vision 1 was a vision about an invasion of locusts. And it was a devastating vision. In fact, it was a it was a visit of locusts right after it says after the king's mowing. The king got what he wanted. And now the locusts come in. And it's the last crop before the droughts of summer. So when they eat this crop, there will be nothing for the people. That upsets Amos. And Amos says he cries out to God, saying, please forgive. And in verse 3, we're told the Lord relented concerning that visit of locusts. The second vision. It's a vision of, of... a judgment of fire. And, and that's not unusual. Not unusual even for Amos. In Amos chapter 1, verses 4, 10, 7, 10, 12, and 14, it all talks about fire of judgment. Chapter 3, verses 2, and ver- or, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 2, and chapter verse 5. And again, chapter 5, verse 6. All of the times in which this idea of judgment by fire is used. And we saw that back when we looked at Hosea. Hosea chapter 8, verse 14. God said, I'm going to send a judgment of fire. And that's what this second vision is about. Verses uh, 4 down to 6. And again... Once again, Amos says, Oh Lord God, please forgive. He's interceding as a prophet. He said, How can Jacob stand? He's so small. And the Bible once again in verse 6 says, The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be. Two visions of judgment, horrible, devastating judgment. And both times when Amos intercedes, it says the Lord relents. And that takes us to the third vision, which is the printed text I want to use for today. 
This is what He showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in His hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land's not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say... Do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord. May God add his blessing to our reading of this portion of his word. Vision number three out of five. And the central feature is a plumb line. Now I had the opportunity to become very familiar with the importance of a plumb line. One summer, and that was all I needed. One summer, I carried mud and bricks for guys that were building brick walls. And I watched as they used their surveying equipment and they set the point at which that first corner was going to be. And then I watched them hang a plumb line there by that first corner. And that plumb line set the vertical straightness of those walls as they moved out from that place. Four times in these first verses, he says, plumb line, a wall built with a plumb line, a plumb line in his hand. Amos, what do you see? A plumb line. Behold, I'm setting a plumb line. I've shared this with you before. If something says something in the Bible, I, I notice it. If something is repeated in the Bible, I take notice. If something is repeated more than twice, three or four times, I make sure I understand what's going on because that is something being emphasized. And what I noticed as I looked at this is that there's a shift of events going on. 
We are shifting from locusts and fire, things that happened, events, to a simple object, a plumb line. We're shifting from the fact of judgment to the necessity or the ground of judgment. And so I I looked and I thought and I read some commentaries and I agreed with one of the commentaries that said the covenant, the plumb line here is the covenant. It's that standard that God had given, the standard of obedience that God had given to His people to call them to justice and righteousness. And the wall, that was the people of Israel. My people Israel. Verse 8, he says, Behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. They're the wall. And the fact is, is that as a people, as a nation, they had been brought together. They were wandering shepherds, nomads. And they had been brought together once out of Egypt. They had been brought together there at the mountain by the covenant that God had established with them. And now they're being tested. Tested by, for, by tested for conformity to that standard. And Amos reminds them that He's no longer the intercessor on their behalf. It's no longer Amos going to God and saying, God, how can this be? How can you do this? How can you allow this? Now Amos is a witness. Look at verse 8 again. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And he had to admit, what he saw was the standard. The plumb line. So, why the standard? Well, I can tell you why in terms of bricklaying. That set things true. You could run a line out from that in each direction and it would make sure the first two walls were right and then hopefully the other two would fall from there. But think about the standard in terms of the people. Why did they need a standard? Why do you and I need a standard? And just think about their history. The first covenant was the one that had been established with Abraham, but they had wandered away from that and it ended up being taken into slavery down in Egypt. But now they were brought back as a people, all of the tribes together, and they had been given a new covenant, a new covenant that was ten words. We know it as the Ten Commandments. And they were called to follow that standard. And yet they failed that standard before Moses even got down the mountain with it, didn't they? I mean, the very first one of the ten words was no other gods. 
And what they do while he was on the mountain? They had Aaron make them another god. The god actually that they had been involved with in Egypt. They made it, had him make them a big golden calf. They had failed to complete the conquest. The covenant of the conquest made. Go read the book of Judges. I think it's a very interesting read. Seven times in just chapter 1 and following shortly thereafter, it says, they did not drive them out. They did not drive them out. Talking about these pagan foreigners that were there in the land that had been given to Abraham. They did not drive them out. In verse 12 of chapter 1 says, they went after other gods. Chapter 3, verse 7, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so how does the book of Judges end? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And what happened? Failure. Failure. When we don't have a standard, we don't have what we need to determine right and wrong, we tend to use other criteria. And most of the time, those criteria lead us in the wrong direction. This book was given to us not to keep us from having fun, not to burden us down. This book was given to us so that we could live the way God made us, created us, intended us to live. I've shared this with you before. I've counseled with the people that have said, well, I know the Bible says, but I think. And in each case, I've said, well, you're headed for disaster. And I don't want to stand here and say to you any illustrations of I told you so, but I could. Time after time after time, one time I even said to somebody because they, they said not I think, but they said I feel that this is what God believes is right for me. And I said, well, the only thing I can say is you probably need to think about what you ate for supper last night because it's probably affecting your feelings more than, than anything else. Because God's Word wouldn't be telling you to feel that. God's Word says this. We have to have a standard. And now God, through Moses, says to the people, no more chances. Did you see verse 8 of chapter 7? I'll never pass by them again. That's it. So, when we have a standard, then... What are the results when the standard's not met? And I think that's what he goes to in the next section of verses there, especially verse 9. 
Before we go there, I want I want you to turn with me if you have your Bible in front of you to Lamentations, a book of crying. And verses 11 to 19 of Lamentations chapter 2 is an individual's emotional reaction to the great suffering that was going on. Verse 17. The Lord has done what He purposed. He has carried out His word, which He commanded long ago. He is thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no response. What's all this about? Well, back in verse 8. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain His hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. And they languished together. The results of what happens when the standard's not met, is that there's judgment. And there's a judgment speech there that follows in verse 9. The high places, the sanctuaries, the kingly house of Jeroboam. I mean, we're talking about pillars and altars. We're talking about walls. We're talking about a house. And what does he say about that? He says all of them are going to meet their ruin. Those edifices, those structures were unfit for divine use or even for human benefit. That would be the result if the standard isn't met. Now, you're intelligent people. You decide. You are older, most of you. You know how things were 30 years ago. What have we gained as a result of the choices made over the last four decades? So how did the people respond to the standard, the prophetic voice? Well, there's an interlude which was part of what we read. Amaziah goes to the king Jeroboam. And he says basically to to the king, Amos has conspired against you. He's prophesied you're going to die. And then, he says to Amos, go back where you came from. Oh, seer, go. Flee away to the land of Judah. See, what's taking place here is that when they heard this prophecy, instead of accepting it and doing what the book of Amos has given opportunity several times, repenting, I mean, I could go back through the sermons and show you all of the different times that it says if you would just return, return to the God of hosts. 
But they didn't do it. And now as a result of that, and as a result of their further rejection, the fact is is that the Lord's going to speak to them. And He says, now therefore hear the word of the Lord. That was the last thing I read as a part of our text this morning. And verses 16 and 17 are a prophecy against both Amaziah and Israel. Your wife, she's going to become a lady of ill repute in the city. Your sons and daughters are going to fall by the sword. Your land's going to be divided up by a measuring line. You yourself are going to die in an unclean land. It's Amos' only judgment speech against an individual. You told me not to prophesy? You told me not to preach? Well, listen to this. Therefore, verse 17, the Lord says, and the full strength of the messenger formula comes out here as He brings this judgment on Amaziah. And with no transition at all, He moves right into vision 4, which is that the end has come upon the people of Israel. And shortly thereafter, the siege of Samaria took place and the nation was destroyed and taken into captivity. Because of their sins. Because they had broken the covenant. In fact, vision number 5 there beginning with verse 9 has God standing at the altar. Or excuse me, chapter 9 verse 1. He's standing at the altar. And look at chapter 9 verse 4. I'm going to fix my eyes upon them. This is God speaking. I'm going to fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Verse 10, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. I serve a loving God. I serve a God who loves us so much that He was willing to allow His Son to die when we were sinners so that we could live. But I also serve a God who loves us so much that justice is demanded. Not just mercy. Not just forgiveness. But justice is demanded when obedience is not followed. I've been enjoying the last several months as we've had the opportunity to have little Quinlan around here during the week. And I have listened. I have listened to his tones and I have listened to Grandma's tones. And I have heard how when Quinlan was fussing, Grandma was trying to reassure and encourage. But I've heard that other tone that when he was mad or demanding his way, that Grandma said, okay, here's how it's going to be. And then he screamed a little bit more, but he had to do things the way Grandma had said. God loves us. 
And God's going to do everything He can to encourage us, to uplift us, to put us back on our feet until the point at which we start asserting our will against His will. And the point at which we start biting back. And when that time comes, Yahweh, God, calls for a sifting. Verses 9 and 10. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes a sieve and no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. Folks, We need to hear the word of the Lord. We need to hear it in terms of our nation. We need to hear it in terms of our individual responses. How we're going to choose to either speak or be silent when certain things are going on. Maybe it's because I'm 67. Maybe it's because the last of our children is now an adult herself and moving out of the home. But I'm not going to be quite as wishy-washy as I might have been in my past, which wasn't very. I'm going to start speaking up and letting people know how I feel about things, what God's Word says about things. Right away soon, I'm trying to figure out how to say it tactfully. But right away soon, I've got to figure out how to say some of my theologian friends... How can people trust you regarding their salvation if you're using all kinds of crazy casuistry to defend voting for somebody who is pro-slaughter of unborn babies? And I love the way Amos ends. The book ends with two final salvation promises. There is an abrupt transition between verse 10 and verse 11 of chapter 9. Verse 10, all sinners of my people shall die by the sword who says disaster shall not overtake us. Verse 11, in that day I will raise up. In what day? In the day when the judgment, the discipline, the punishment has run its course. And when they finally have realized obedience is is demanded, disobedience is not an option, God says, in that day, I'll raise up first the booth of David. Did you notice He didn't say the throne of David? Man, the commentaries have gone back and forth as to why Amos says the booth of David. And I tend to agree with those who are looking back to how the people dwelt in booths. And they had the feast of booths. And David's family would have had its booths during that time. Those temporary shelters. David Hubbard said that the sword of judgment gives way to the towel of reconstruction. 
The sword of judgment gives way to the towel of reconstruction. And what's important is the timing. The judgment's run its course. The covenant, the message of Amos, is held together by God's commitment, His continuity, but also by these contrasts that keep happening. It is the judgment and discipline that comes because of God's love. That's why the second promise of salvation down there in verse 14, I'll restore the fortunes of my people Israel. My people. And the book ends, says the Lord, and it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, says Yahweh, your Elohim. Yahweh, your God. It's a renewed pledge of commitment. A commitment to my people because I am going to be your God. Not because of anything other than the fact that God loves us. And that's the blessing that you and I have today. Because God loved us so much, When Israel failed and Judah failed, He created a new Israel with a covenant written on the hearts. That's you and I, the church. And He created for us a sacrifice. His Son, Jesus. So that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, now listen to me, Not because of our faith in Him. Sit down sometime with me and let me go through Romans and Galatians with you. Not because of our faith in Him, but because of Jesus' faithfulness and obedience to what He was called to do, give His life on the cross. Because of that, you and I can be saved. And I am thankful that I serve a God who throughout the Old Testament is referred to as a righteous God, the righteousness of God, and who in the New Testament is a God who is faithful to the covenants that He's made with us. Thus says Yahweh, our God. Let's pray.